Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Patience is great and all, but sometimes you need to go after what you want, especially when it comes to hiring for your business. Thankfully, ZipRecruiter makes that easy to do. They put the hustle in hiring with smart technology that finds top talent fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter find a quality candidate within the first day. Try it free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome. You're listening to the I Can't Believe I Get Paid to Do This podcast from BBC Good Food. Do you dream in food? Are you starting your first job, trying to change your path, writing your CV right now, or simply curious as to how the food on your plate gets there? We're focusing on the careers side of the food industry in this new series. I'm your host, Miriam Nice, and in this podcast, I'm going to be uncovering what it takes to have some of the most enviable jobs in the wonderful world of food. When you cook, are you often asked for the recipe? Do you love to read cookery books for pleasure? Have you dreamt of publishing your own cookery book someday, but always wondered where to start? Well, it gives me great pleasure to tell you that joining me down the line all the way from Sydney, Australia, is author of over 20 best-selling cookery books with combined sales of over 7 million copies worldwide. Also a presenter, editor, food stylist, has her own homeware range. Warm welcome to the podcast, Donna Hay. Hi, Donna. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So your your newest book came out in October this year. Congratulations. And it's called One Pound Perfect. You. Can you tell us a bit more about it and how it came about? Well, like most people, I felt like I did my fair share of cooking for everyone, including neighbours, um, during lockdown. And so I thought, I love, love, love to cook. Given any opportunity, I will cook. But I did feel the pinch, I must admit, of that continual breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks of lockdown. And I know even just when I was out shopping, a lot of people are saying, oh my goodness, I feel like a caterer. How do you do this? Have you? How do I make this simpler? Oh my gosh, you know, like it was a real thing. 
And I don't know if you had this trend, but we had all of these new people join cooking. Like there were people that had never cooked before. They were kind of like your delivery to your door dinner people or your assembly dinner people suddenly nurturing a sourdough starter and making their own sourdough. Crazy. So we just coined the phrase for those people, the zero to sourdoughs. And I'm really grateful for them because they would not have joined my tribe at any other time, just grabbing those silver linings. So I had this huge group of people that then I decided might be fatiguing on the cooking front. Still have to cook, still have to feed all these people. Nothing has changed. But then the kind of one pan perfect thing became a little bit more of an obsession for me because we're all short of time. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. We all get short on time. We all have to feed people. What better way than if you can come up with a recipe that uses one pot pan tray dish, whatever you're going to use, and you choose flavors that all mix and meld together and work so hard together that they create something magical. So that's the track that I took. It's lovely. I made your charred broccoli studio salad the other day and it's really, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, good. I love that. And that's one of my faves too. It's just full of like loads of textures and you're right, that layer and layer of flavour, but it's in one yeah, dish. And, yeah. And that it's one great. is such a heavy hitter, isn't it? With all those layers of the chilli and the garlic and the lemon and yeah, it makes broccoli a whole new, a whole new world. Definitely. Okay. So you've been, uh, You've been food styling and writing about food since you were 19. Is that right? How did that all start? Oh, yes. Well, honesty being the best policy, I, I always loved to cook. And my mum always let me cook. My dad built me like a cubby house in the backyard. And I remember making like mud pies with this little tin tea set with my sisters. And I was always cooking up something in a bowl and picking grass and flowers and leaves and things and pretending I was cooking from a really young age. My mom was so fantastic. She let me cook in her kitchen for real, which for me was just so magical as as a little girl, just I was just so taken by just the sheer magic of egg whites and sugar becoming this glossy cloud-like meringue substance that was just it was just I was just so taken by it from a young age. Anything anything that I could cook, get my hands on to create something. I just loved it. And my mum helped me clean up. So she really, as much as she's not the best cook in the world, and we don't tell anyone that, we just say that really quietly. She's <laughs> very good at cleaning up. <laughs> very also tidy, a superpower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I actually was too shy to become a chef and I didn't want to become a cookery teacher. So I didn't I kind of just wrote off the fact that I wouldn't have a career in cooking and I was quite sporty. So I thought I would do something like physiotherapy or sports science or something like that. Anyway, I didn't go to uni to do that. I went and did this crazy cooking course. And the best thing about it was it shared a campus with, with fashion students. It was one of the best fashion schools in Sydney. It's a, one of the first jails in Sydney. So it's beautiful old sandstone, quite haunted feeling, but there was a food school there and I signed up to do this quite strange course called home economics and what I'm truly grateful for is that it was just packed full of food science how to write a recipe how to cook all the basic things but it wasn't mass volume it wasn't like chefing where you're making big big bats of things it was still based on home cooking so 
that kind of springboarded me into what I still do today. I always go back to the basics. I always go back to the science. I love, love, love food science, geeky food science. Really, I just think it's so wondrous. It's just it's in that magic camp that my brain loves. So um, not, I always thought, oh, my goodness, there's no jobs. This industry is so hard to get into. So I just started assisting other food stylists. There wasn't much work and I just thought, right, well, if I can be the best food stylist assistant there is, because it's different in Australia. The food stylist assistant cooks for the food stylist, but the food stylist actually goes and gets all the props as well. Okay. There's no prop stylist usually. So you kind of, it's all, you're kind of like a jack of all trades. Um, when you style in Australia or you're a food stylist assistant, you might even go out and get the props as well as the shopping, as well as cooking, as well as developing recipes. So it's quite um, quite different from when I travelled overseas and realised the roles were so separated and so many people. So I just worked really, really hard and thought, okay, if there's a job going, I'm going to be the best at it so that I get the freelance gig because there is no other career that I want. So I just worked so hard at it and worked whenever I could and I just loved it I couldn't believe that playing in food and being creative could be my job my career it was just felt so grateful and then I guess from there I joined you know I was bopping around freelancing and having a great time um I joined a couple of guys in a studio in Woolloomooloo in Sydney which at the time was a pretty sketchy area but great rent for a big studio fantastic rent and I just worked with them um, one of them was a fashion photographer we had a hire studio next door which we hired out to fashion any photographers but mainly fashion it was kind of really grungy really beautiful but very very grungy so there was lots of guys in there shooting Vogue there was lots of traveling photographers that were in Sydney that like to use the studio. So I got to meet a lot of people. Um, and I guess my big break came. I was sitting on the floor in the studio. That would have been risking life on them. Sitting on the floor in the studio and I had some work out on the floor on some poly boards. I would, was doing some 10 by 8 polo transfers, which is enormous paper like Polaroid transfer that you transfer onto paper. It's quite a process. But I was doing it with one of the guys. I was just going through the images. And this woman walked past. She had a really gorgeous, um, sharp bob haircut and crazy glasses and big red lips. And I thought, you're an interesting character. I have no idea who you are. She sort of said to me, who are you? And I was like, hmm, this what? This is my, like, who are you? Um, anyway, let me cut the story short. She had been appointed the fashion director for Marie Claire, which hadn't started yet in Australia. I was 22, maybe. And um, she recruited me as just the freelance food editor. And I really had the remit of, you can do anything you want, just don't run the deadline. So it was my big break just having that and then having her, her name's Jane, Jane Rorty, as my mentor. And having a fashion mentor when you work in food is amazing because I'd never made the connection before that food could move as fast as fashion. And 
the things that she would tell me to do to twist my creative thoughts where at the time I thought she was absolutely batty, crazy, mad. Now I look back on it and think I was the most fortunate girl in the world. She would say to me things like, she was always jet-setting off somewhere, fabulous, you know, it was the 90s or the two, whatever it was. Was it, yeah, would have been, no, 2000s. So there was still lots of money around in magazines. It was fabulous. She was always going somewhere fabulous. So I'd say to her, Jane, before you go, just let me pitch you my next three stories. And so I'd go, it's going to be Easter, like people love chocolate at Easter, let's do a chocolate story. She'd go, yes, yes, no, no, no. What I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is Lagerfeld's cruise collection, white. I'm seeing white. I, w- I want you to do all white. Um, you can do that, can't you, sweetie? And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, Jane, um, you don't understand white chocolate's yellow. No, no, sweetie, you look. I know how clever you are. You'll make it white. I've got a dash. I'm off to Marrakesh. I'll be back. <laughs> she just she used to say things like that all the time. I want a white Christmas. I'm like, yeah, Christmas isn't white, uh, Jane. She goes, see, it's like, you know, you know those Italians, how they cook that thing in milk. Do that. Like, just make it all. You can make it white, sweetie. You're very clever. You are very clever. No, white. That's what I'm seeing, white. And she would just come up with these crazy ideas about, oh, I saw, and it would always be in fashion, oh, Dior, sweetie, I saw, I, Dior, colourful, too colourful, like like, like beetroots, it's all about colour. This was even before I think I could buy beetroots at the supermarket. I used to go to a specialist grower. It was a long time ago. And so she just, she made me think that it was easy to follow the usual path that Easter means chocolate. But you need to rethink that to be a creative. And she was always challenging me to think of the different possibilities, to think of the non-usual. And she would say to me, oh, sweetie, anyone can do that. That's not for you. So she kind of challenged my thoughts. And I'm quite competitive with myself, not with anyone else. But I'd think, oh, okay, well, I better come up with something a lot more creative if if everyone else can do it. And still to this day, that that little thought bubble pops into my head. Oh, I can't, I won't do that because anyone could do that. What's different about that? What's great about that? What's going to make you love that recipe? No, anyone could do that. Can you add something special to it? What can you challenge? What can you change? So that is my very long-winded answer of where I started, <laughs> and I hope you're not, you're now not nodding off. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, is, would you say that kind of creativity is your favourite part about what you do, or do you have another kind of favourite favourite yeah, part? Yeah, absolutely. Do yeah, and the detail and kind of sharing the studio with another stylist who's an, an interior stylist, so I would have thought at the time had no crossover with what I was doing. But her name's Sabella Court. She she just has a very unusual eye for detail of things that I didn't pick up that she kind of brought to my attention and I feel like my eyes opened to a new level of detail when I hung out with her. And we're still friends to this day, but she's just she's a bit next level. I think there's creative people in this world and then there's true creatives that just they're just different. They're on another level. Um, and if you can grab hold of those people, then 
boy, hold on to them tight because they are gold. Do you feel, so right now, do you feel like you have that, those sort of creatives like surrounding you? Do you feel that your job that you're doing now is your dream job? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I still reference back to things that I was taught when I was younger and it's just, it's still the same challenges and it's still the same set of rules. You don't get lazy. You don't just revert back to something that anyone else can do. If you want to be great, you've, you've got to work at it and not those creative moments don't happen all the time. You've got to be in the right mood. You've got to be in the right place. You've got to be in the right headspace. You've kind of got to go, you've got to make the process happen. And I feel like from the work that you've done, like you've got such a skill for like making these kind of fuss-free, delicious food, often with a kind of healthy spin and really helping like home cooks feel confident. Like your recipe ideas definitely inspired me starting out. So tell me where this kind of comes from, where this, you know, wanting to help kind of home cooks. When I was really young in my career, I went to one of those networking nights and someone stood up and said, Kitchens are uh, being downsized. Apartments are being built in Sydney with just room for a microwave and a bar fridge. Cooking is going to become like macrame. It's going to become a hobby. And I was horrified. I was so horrified that I was actually angry. And it kind of was like my call to arms. (laughs) That can't happen. Um, And so I just thought, well, no wonder cooking is going to become a thing of the past. There's so many such complicated recipes, um, really lovely recipes from chefs and and confident cooks and lots of French influence cooking and, you know, quite quite extensive stuff needed, lots of ingredients or there was a lot of shaming if you didn't make your own stock at home or, you know, there was, and my view was, well, why wouldn't you buy good quality stock and get people to cook instead of turning them away? Like, surely that's a better alternative than them buying a ready meal or just never cooking or never having that skill in life. So I think I was a little bit, I was a little bit more of a realist about people's skill, um, the time it takes, time it takes me to chop an onion and then time it takes anyone at home to chop an onion is probably two different things. So you've got to take that into consideration. Is it going to be a deal breaker if you ask people to tear the herbs or do they have to do some fine chiffonade which they don't even understand what that word is. So I kind of went on a tact of it's not really going to change the recipe that much. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, 
Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're not trying to create a home restaurant. We're trying to create something that took 20 minutes to cook, is nutritious, healthy, delicious, looks fantastic, ticks all of those boxes. And there is so many of them. And there's such higher expectations today than there ever was. Because people do want their food to look and taste like they've eaten it at a restaurant previously. So ticking all those boxes, you've got to be able to take some shortcuts because I feel like I've got maybe 20 minutes of attention when someone gets home. I know, you know, and I guess having children and a job you kind of really you understand that you've got homework to do and everything else like it's not you're not about to embark on a two-hour process of you know whatever it is so I was always trained on domestic appliances I always bought my shopping at local supermarkets so I had real understanding of what was at the supermarket what people could grab things that I could maybe swap in and out I might have wanted the really specialist hurt spice just knowing I was going to send someone an hour out of their way to use a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of it was just off the cards for me. So it was just being more inventive and and more creative of ways to try and take shortcuts and and try and make something that looked great, tastes great, but it is actually a home-cooked meal. And that was really my crusade is, you know, the aim of the game. Let's get people cooking. Fab. And what do you think the common misconceptions are about what you do? Mm. I don't know. Maybe that it's easier than it is. I feel like it's getting harder. I feel like people's expectations of what a recipe is going to be for their 20 minutes of their time they want to give you is getting much harder. And I feel like writing a recipe with fewer ingredients is harder than writing a recipe with lots of ingredients because you can just layer up as many flavors as you like and, you know, it's all going to taste great in the end. So when you put those restrictions on yourself, like, okay, you can only use one pan for this and you can use up to maybe 10 ingredients. I might let you have an 11th, but do you really need it? Um, I Yeah, I just feel like my job's maybe getting a little tougher. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you can only see so many supermarkets and if you've um, got such a wide reach, it's difficult to know what those, if you're doing a three ingredient recipe, the quality of those three ingredients is going to vary wildly down the road in the next country. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always, just to that point, I always felt like I was kind of cheating being a food stylist in Sydney. Like I feel like I have, I've food styled in many other countries in the world. And let me tell you, it is easy to do it in Sydney. There's so much fresh produce. It's really fresh. The big bunches of herbs you get even at the supermarket, let alone the farmer's markets and produce markets around where I live, which are quite common. I always felt like I was cheating because um, it's the, the produce just arrives to me looking so beautiful and so fresh. Yeah, unlike trawling through plastic packets of herbs in 
supermarkets. I nearly said a brand name, but I won't. Um, but, you know, like when I was starting in New York even or in London, it, I just found it a million times harder. I was trying to bring herbs back to life. Like I would have them at home in giant bowls of ice water. And yeah, I worked hard. (laughs) I feel lazy when I come home. (laughs) So talk me through a typical day for you. Is it nine to five? No. And there's (laughs) no such thing as a typical day, which suits, suits me really well. I don't, I don't like repetition. So my days are always different, which I guess is why I still love working could be, oh my goodness, we've had the craziest year like everybody else. What did I do today? I tested a few recipes, which is kind of indulgent for me to have the time to run into the test kitchen at the busiest time of the year. Um, I'm styling a couple of days this week on a kid's book project, which is a revamp. During lockdown, I was on Zoom at 4.30 in the afternoon every Thursday doing kids' classes just for kids, which was hilarious. We had like, at one point, we had over 12,000 families join. And I was getting the kids to cook dinner for their parents. (laughs) That's lovely. the parents had to join, yeah, because at the end, <laughs> dinner was already made. So it was really good. And the last one I did a couple of weeks ago because our lockdown just finished, which I know is insane. I got the kids to cook their parents a dinner party to say thank you because it was homeschooling bedlam. Like I was, I had a teenage boy homeschooling in a home uni. Um, but, you know, little ones, my friends with little ones just trying to do their work and trying to do little school with little kids who need a lot of help. So I got them to cook their mums and dads or their parents a dinner party and ended with a really simple chocolate souffle. Oh, my goodness. I've never cried so much. I had to stop looking at the pictures and reading the emails because it was just too emotional of you've saved us during lockdown. We just look forward to every Thursday. We had something to talk about. We did it together. It was so much fun. And now we've ended it with a dinner party. Oh, my gosh. I was. I had to stop reading. It was very emotional. Very emotional. Pictures of little children with their things. Little videos of kids running down the street with their masks on, delivering it to their neighbours. Different cookies and things on the other class. Oh, my gosh. It was too oh, much. Too sweet. <laughs> really sweet. And so you're not – there's so many strings to your bow, like, you know, online courses and, and everything. Like, can you – Tell me how important you think that is, in your opinion, if you're writing a cookery book, to have other interests and other things that you're pursuing. Yeah, I think it's really important for me. Um, I couldn't do just one bit. I couldn't just test recipes every day. I don't think I could style every day. But I do kind of paint a background and make things still. And I have to see the whole process through. I like to be connected with it. I like to reach out to different ceramicists and ask them if they want, you know, if I can buy some stuff off them for my next project and can do they have any extra things that I'll need and different shapes. And, yeah, it's I, I love the entire process and I'm so grateful that I still get to be a part of all of it That's good. and not just sit at my desk, which really is why I had to shut my magazine because... I just ended up with the desk job, with the boss job, which was not not what I was good at and not what I wanted to be either. For yeah. anyone who wants to um, get into writing cookery books, what do you think might be the biggest kind of difficulties that they might face? 
I think it is difficult to pitch a book to a publisher because books are hard to sell. There's so many free recipes online. So the world has changed and you really, you have to have a really great solid idea, especially if you're a first timer. You, um, if you're aiming for a niche topic, you'd want to be thinking that there is a lot of people that love, love, love your niche topic. Um, it's hard. It's, it's hard. I, um, my latest book has QR codes on some of the pages. And so when you wave your phone over, I pop up and I become your personal cooking coach in a little video. So I think innovating your books is really where we have to go. People expect more. Whereas before I had books and I had videos online, they were disconnected. But seeing as though we all now love a QR code, I just designed a little pretty one and put it in the corner of the book. So I think that is going to help a lot of bridging that gap between paper um, and and cooking, you know, like is it a pretty book I flick through or is it something I'm going to cook out of a couple of nights a week? So I think that's great to innovate. I don't know, it's tough. And, and friends of mine at the moment want to do an interiors book and so I've been trying to help them, but it's 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 tough out there if you want, you know, some books will become a passion project for authors, but in this you know, one of the cornerstones of my business. So I'm always thinking of what people want next. What are they going to be interested in? How can I capture their attention? What do I think is going to make a great book that people will really, will really fall in love with? And what would you say, I mean, what would you advise someone? Would you suggest that if they wanted to do something that they approach a publisher or an agent or that they just write the book first and, and try and approach someone afterwards? No, I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't write the entire book first because you can always, you know, it it can always change as it goes along and there might be input from a publisher or from an agent. I don't have an agent, I have a publisher. So, but I guess you've got to, you can't, like any creative idea, you can't get stuck on one thing. You have to be flexible. I'm not saying you can't be passionate and driven but you have to keep a very open mind. So you're going to have to be that person that takes on feedback and sometimes criticism and use that as a positive instead of going, oh, that's, you know, I want to do it my way. This is my vision. You know, those people who've been in publishing for a long time, like my publisher, they have valid opinions you've got to be able to listen to that and weave it back into your original vision and make your book better um but I would just start on I mean when I start a book and I do I know this is crazy because we're talking about my new book that came out a couple of weeks ago maybe a week ago that I already have to think about my next book if I want to do a book for next year so I start a couple of ideas about what a book could be and then Usually when I'm going for a run or I've got a bit of quiet time, I start to see the chapters fall into place. It's kind of like that beautiful movie about chess, the girl. What is that? What is that nice mini-series? What's the Queen's Gambit? It's Gambit. You know how she sees the chessboard on the ceiling? Well, I don't take hallucinogenics, but, (laughs) but I start to see the chapters and how they would flow. And I start to get a feel for the book. And some books, they just don't do that. And I can them. So I've always got a couple of ideas. And some of them just start to flow. And you see them evolve. 
and you start writing notes and the notes make sense and the notes add up to what you're visualizing. Is is this making any sense? I sound like a crazy person. But before I actually start a book, I can see it. I can usually see most of it and I can go, yes, okay, that is going to make a great book because it's going to flow like this and then it's going to be like this and that person will love it for this bit and this person, these people will love it for this and it will be useful this way. And I kind of, I kind of run it through. That sounds like, you know, making a kind of three-dimensional kind of idea. You're not just going, I want to write a book about this, you know. You're going, yeah. well, I want to write a book about it, and it will do this and it will flow in this way. It's much easier, I guess, to pitch if you, but yeah, yeah. that flexibility is so well, who's important. Gonna, who's going to yeah. buy that book on white chocolate? You know? yeah. <laughs> and what do they have? What have they got Jane access will. to? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to go, well, who who would buy this? Why And why would they buy it? And if they did, what, why would, what would they be looking for? And what are people feeling right now? And, you know, food is reflective of how we're feeling, what, what's happening in government, what's happening in clothes, do the same thing. Mm. When you see the world in turmoil, you see fashion change really quickly, you know, long coats, very shielding, big jackets and big nets and things that envelop you into safety. And so when you watch fashion, you can see what's happening as a commentary of the world right now. It's a really good place to mark time. So I love watching that kind of worldly event thing play out in fashion and food and in people's lives. And it often gives me ideas of where people might be going next. Yeah. And I think with having that flexibility on your idea is so important because, as we've seen, like things can change quite quickly. So you need to be able to pivot and adjust and and, Uh and Yeah. And sometimes I can be like, no, this book's going to be great. And then I'll just be going for a run and I'll think, it's not. So just give it up. Like it's not. <laughs> it's not going to work. That yeah. is a one chapter book. <laughs> and sometimes you can't get it past. <laughs> yeah, it's a pamphlet. <laughs> it's a newsletter. And if you want to produce a newsletter, go right ahead. But it's not a book. <laughs> so, you know, there's those kind of moments where you've got to be honest with yourself. You think it's a great idea, but maybe it's not. Brilliant. Well, we are almost out of time, but can I ask you to leave us with a few things that anyone who wants to write a book or do something similar to you should know to give them a bit of a head start? Um, Or should do. (laughs) You should do. Make your little, just be clear in your mind of your original idea and then keep working on it. It's like a painting, you know, people don't Artists don't go to a canvas and just paint and then it's finished. They kind of add colour and texture and bits and pieces. So your book will be an artwork, so treat it like one. Keep adding colour to it, add bits and pieces and texture to it, and that's what I mean about keeping an open mind is that, you know, you've got to keep going back to your canvas and adding to it and and thinking, is this is this great? Is this, is this what people want or is it just what I love? Um, so just treat it like a canvas be your artist and then when you're writing recipes take notes be thorough always have your pen paper clipboard next to you and take the time to take notes because it does take a lot of time to test recipes but a bad recipe that doesn't work is no good for anyone and it's definitely not good for your reputation so always take notes take notes take notes take notes slow down be thorough take notes Make sure your food science is correct. You know, try not to bend a recipe that science will tell you it won't go in that way. Yeah, and 
be respectful of a book. It has to be correct. Take notes. Amazing. I was going to ask you how, um, how has cooking just for yourself changed when you're, especially if you're doing lots of books and things like that, the pleasure of cooking for yourself, is it, do you have a notebook when you're just making a piece of toast or is it? (laughs) No, I do. I have scraps of paper, which drives everyone insane. And then I (laughs) tap into the notes in my phone as well. Um, And then sometimes I leave myself voice memos. So my problem is that my notes very much reflect my brain of chaos and thoughts that they could be anywhere. And someone will go, is this your post-it note? It says. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. And they're like, but that's like five random. I'm like, yes, but what it means. (laughs) So I'm the random note taker at any time. Super. Sounds great fun. Donna, thank you so much for joining me on the I Can't Believe I Get Paid to Do This podcast. Oh, thank you. It's been it's been really lovely to meet you. So um, next time I will be finding out about another dream job in food. But in the meantime, Donna is going to be recording a bonus episode with us, which you can learn even more essential trade secrets directly from her. So don't miss that at the weekend. And as I said, Donna's new book, One Pan Perfect, is out now, published by Harper Collins. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com slash podcasts. Bye for now. <laughs> You've been listening to the I Can't Believe I Get Paid to Do This podcast from BBC Good Food, hosted by me, Miriam Nice. Join me next time as I uncover another dream job in food and drink.